As the racing season winds down, the separation season begins. Now, when I say separation season, I don't mean the season to separate yourself from racing, although that's exactly what many of your competitors are doing. And that provides an opportunity for you to separate from the pack. Within This Is Bracket Racing Elite, we focus on growth year-round, but the gains, they're, they're small, they're incremental during race season for two reasons. Number one, because your attention as a racer is split, right? You've got upkeep, maintenance, travel, all the things involved with the racing season, in addition to a focus on your own growth. And because other racers are working hard at that time too. It's this time of year, this separation season, where putting in the work can really allow you a leg up on the competition. If you're serious about doing just that, and you'd like to surround yourself with a group of knowledgeable trainers and accountable peers with the tools, the resources, the wisdom to help you take that next step, and perhaps even with the occasional kick in the pants to keep you on track, This Is Bracket Racing Elite is the answer. We've helped thousands of racers just like you take the next step toward becoming the best version of themselves on the racetrack. Elite can help you do the same. Enrollment is open as of Monday, November 27th, and it closes December 8th. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite. Today's podcast is presented in part by Portatree. I use Portatree products personally to help me become the best racer that I can be. From the pocket pal to a full-size national event tree, Portatree has quality products to meet our needs. Portatree is the perfect gift for the racer in your family. Use promo code JINGLE10, which will give the holder 10% off any orders through the month of December. In addition, today's podcast is presented by Racing RVs. Based near Dayton, Ohio, Racing RVs is your source for quality new or used trucks, motorhomes, and trailers. Whether you're buying, selling, or trading, make Racing RVs your first call. Welcome to the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast with Luke and Jed. Introducing your hosts, the multi-time world champion, Cool Hand Luke Bogacki. And the golden voice of drag racing, Big Jed, Jared Pennington. Hello everyone and welcome to the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast with Luke and Jed. I'm Big Jed, Jared Pennington. He's Cool Hand Luke Bogacki. Thank you for finding us wherever you find your podcast and allowing us to be a small part of your day. The Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast will be a weekly review of what's happening or what has happened in sportsman racing. Luke and I will be talking about all of the hottest topics, drivers, and events in racing today. Luke, what's happening, bud? Man, I'm ready to bring the energy today. It's going to be a good show, Big Jed. I'm fired up as anything. Racing season for me has been over for a few weeks. For most everyone, it's either over or winding down. But man, Friday is tip-off. It's college hoop season, and you know that gets me fired up. Yeah, I've already seen the Facebook picture of you and Gary at the Salukis game, and uh, I know you're getting excited. How are they looking this year? Decimated by injuries at the moment. We look pretty strong in our uh, exhibition game against a D2 opponent, but not sure what I can take from that. Salukis yeah. start things off on the road Friday. Going to be a pretty significant underdog at a Winthrop. Oh, yeah. you, I, you got Colin Sexton down there in Alabama. Bama's going to be good. 
Yeah, we're thinking he's a one and done, but I uh, feel like Alabama's going to have probably the most talented basketball team they've had in quite a while. So looking forward to it. I think the SEC's uh, just going to be a touch weak again this year. So maybe that gives them an opportunity to pile up some W's and, and make the dance later on in 2018. You know, Jed, it's early November and correct me if I'm wrong. Like, I don't think we've said a word on the podcast about Alabama football since, you know, the last time they won a national championship. Yeah. I know this is a little bit impromptu, but I know how big a fan you are. So as of today, like this will go live on November 8th, Jed's playoff four as of November 8th. Who's in? Well, uh, actually, uh, Auburn could be the fly in the ointment uh, for Alabama and Georgia to not make this happen or make this not happen. But I really believe Alabama and Georgia are going to make it. I think they'll be one in four, respectively. I'm pulling for my tide, obviously, to be one in Georgia fall to the to the number four spot. Uh, could be number three if the if the playoff committee don't want to see them face each other in the first game. But I really believe those two will be joined by Notre Dame and Clemson. I think that'll be your top four and obviously pulling for the tide. Uh, You heard it here first. That's Alabama, Georgia, Clemson, Notre Dame. Sorry, Pac-12. Sorry, Big Ten. Sorry, Big 12. You can add Jed about that one. That was probably way too much sports talk for the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast. But as we've said before, it's our podcast. And that's what we wanted to talk about today. So with that out of the way, we talk a little drag racing too. We have a big show. We will cover the Lucas, the final Lucas Oil Drag Racing Series event of the season from Las Vegas and kind of wrap up the championship chases. Everything to this point in the NHRA sportsman side of things has been determined with the exception of Super Gas, which is getting more interesting by the hour. We'll talk about that a good bit. The World Series of Bracket Racing at Darlington was the uh, the big money event of the weekend on the East Coast. We'll talk through that. There's 250s and 100. Big action, huge car count. Looked like an excellent race. A couple of 10-granders not too awful far from there up at Richmond. That's the 10-grand slam. We'll cover that. And down in your neck of the woods, Jed, a Drive for Five event at Huntsville that turned into the Drive for 75 Yes. And we will also be joined with newly crowned or soon to be crowned NHRA stock and super stock champion in 2017. We'll have Justin Lamb on for an interview. But before we get to that, Jed, let's start this show off like we do every show and uh, tell our listeners who's hot in the world of sportsman drag racing. He's on fire. It's time for who's hot in sportsman drag racing. Sabre performance who's hot. Sabert Performance is now offering engine and carburetor packages. This week's featured package is the Pro Series Bracket 441 LS Next. It is a 750 horsepower LS-based small block built with reliability and longevity in mind. It has a dark block, trick flow heads, vacuum pump, coil packs, and an optional Sebert Performance carburetor available as a package. Contact Luke Sebert at 785 286 6813 or check out seabrookperformance.com. Yeah, Jed, it, it's hard to go against 15 consecutive wind lights. And that's what happened at Las Vegas Motor Speedway. 
at the season finale divisional event last weekend for Ryan Mangus. Uh, Ryan got the win in Supercomp, driving Ryan Harem's Dragster, and the win in Stock Eliminator, driving Justin Lamb's 70 model Camaro. I believe it's an e-automatic car. And Jed, I yeah. think, obviously, any time that you win two classes in one day, or two Wallies in one day, as it turns out, at the biggest, most well-attended, and probably the most eyeballs-on divisional event of the season, that's impressive. But as you and I talked and kind of our deciding factor for selecting who's hot, just the two categories that Ryan did this in might even make it a little bit more impressive than most. Yeah, no doubt, Luke, doing it, uh, obviously, on the pro tree and super comp on the stop and a, and a dragster. That's not an easy task, but it's certainly not easy to switch from that to swapping feet in the stock category and be competitive, yet alone win in both classes. So the the diversity that shows and the talent it shows uh, just put us over the top with Ryan this week and made him the secret performance who's hot driver of the week. It was very impressive. Yeah, stellar last, what, month or so for Mangus. Uh, it's also, you guys, loyal listeners will probably remember he was the Division 7 Race of Champions winner in pro and will have an opportunity to continue this hot streak this coming up weekend in Pomona at the Summit ET World Championship runoff, which we'll preview a little bit later in the show. But first, let's talk some results and let's start out with the biggest purses of the weekend. There's a huge event that's the uh, World Series of Bracket Racing out in Darlington. comes from the folks at SFG Promotions. I know that there was a couple of lead-up events, but the main event's Friday, $50,000 to win. Saturday, $100,000 to win. Sunday, $50,000 to win. Jed, what uh, catch us up to speed on what happened out there in Darlington. Well, Luke, first and foremost, the Team Canada, uh, there wasn't a whole lot of Canadian racers there. It was uh, there a were Canadian eight. uprising, wasn't it? Yeah, there were eight of them at the race, and uh, they really showed out extremely well which, you know, there's a lot of talent up there. It's just hard for them to get down here and show it at times. But uh, I know uh, Fred Angers and uh, Jay Boliu, uh, those guys showed out. and, and Shout out to Left Lane Fred. <laughs> yeah, but Team Canada, again, uh, deserves some special recognition for their performance. And this uh, Jay Boliu we just talked about, he started out Wednesday with a 20K shootout win over Richard Taylor. And uh, then Thursday, uh, another Canadian, Joel LaPierre, got the win over Sneaky Pete. Peter Biondo uh, dusting off the cobwebs off the dragster and bringing it out and getting him a runner-up in the 15K to, to get their shootout days wrapped up before the main event. Rumor has it that guy's pretty good at racing. Man, I tell you, he is uh, he's very impressive. Obviously, he's had tons of seat time over his career, so it's nothing new for him to jump in a car when he hasn't made a bunch of laps in a certain year. But still, to to kind of get in your groove just every time you get in the car just shows how great he is. Uh, Peter, obviously one of the best to ever do it, if not the best. But uh, we got into Friday, Luke, with um, the main event races, and the 50K was settled by a couple of guys who've been there before. And it was a heck of a race. I don't remember the exact numbers. I think Skinny Kenny Underwood, he got the win over A.J. Ash. I think Kenny was two, A.J. was six, and it was a really tight race at the finish line. So 
those guys uh, stepped their game up once again, as they always do, and got the 50K final settled with uh, Kenny. I, I think that uh, was his second one of the year. Man, I start losing track of who all wins 50s and this and that, but I think that was Kenny's second 50 yeah, of the year. It, it's not like it used to be, Jed. This stuff used to be easy to keep track of because there was like four 50 granders a year. Now there's yeah. four 50 granders a month. So, yeah, there is. But uh, no, good on Kenny, good on AJ. As you said, uh, two guys that are no stranger to the winner's circle. That made way for Saturday's main event. It's bad when a when a $50,000 to win a race is the warm-up. But Saturday's 100 granders saw... Chris Reynolds, Delaware driver. Bear, Delaware. One of those top 10 city every time. Bear, as in B-E-A-R? Like the animal, yes. Fantastic. That is a top 10 Great city. place to live. And Chris, particularly on this day, was a top 10 driver. He was a top one driver. Similar to uh, Friday's final, Chris was 002, like one above one in the final to knock off the aforementioned Peter Biondo in yet another final. Like you say, I think I'll take a drag strap this weekend. That that obviously worked out pretty good for Sneaky Pete. But uh, kudos to both of those guys. A couple of Northeast runners that uh, the Division One crowd is no stranger to seeing dominate across Chris Reynolds over Peter Bionda. No doubt. Peter getting his second runner up of the weekend and the, the biggest race of the weekend was great to see. And Chris Reynolds is just a really good guy. So great to see Chris kick the door down and get his 50K or his 100K win, excuse me. Sunday wrapped up with another 50K, Luke. It's, I mean, you're talking about 100K sandwich between two 50s, just tons and tons of money on the line. And uh, a guy that performed extremely well at the fall fling uh, showed up again, Shane Maddox. Got his big 50K win over Chris Dixon, another guy who's very familiar with the winner circle. But uh, great to see Shane. I think Shane took his Ford-powered dragster to the to the winner circle, which would be a Maddox chassis, of course. And uh, that's pretty rare in its own right, but uh, it was good to see Shane get a big 50K win to wrap up the weekend. Yeah, it's such a testament to, to this day and age and, and how many big events there are and how that creates an opportunity for someone like Shane Maddox. Shane's a guy that I've heard about for years as one of the best competitors in his area. I believe he races at Greer week in and week out. And I've heard that name a lot. And obviously a guy that's been very successful, doesn't travel a whole, whole bunch. But just this year, as you alluded to, gets a couple of huge opportunities close to home at Bristol and at Darlington, makes the most of them, and now he is on the tip of everybody's tongue as one of the most successful drivers of the season based on two huge weekends. And yeah. in, in reality, he's probably doing nothing any different than he's done for the last 10 years. We just didn't know about it. Yeah, yeah, Shane's uh, he's a winner. He's a humble guy, so you know you like to see those guys get to the front, and uh, congratulations to him, and he's got a, a cast around him that uh, it's very supportive, and uh, I know that was a, probably a very exciting win to wrap up that event. But, Luke, um, I got a, a private message. Jake Hodge was one of the announcers at uh, at the SFG event and uh, got a private message from him sometime during the day, I think, maybe Friday or Saturday, whenever it was. And uh, he said, I'm trying to get a hold of Luke. If you can, get in touch with him or you just tell me, basically, we'd like to play the um, the Sportsman Drag Racing podcast on uh, Motor Mania during breaks. He said, you know, we, we're talking a lot and we really don't have a whole lot to talk about when we got breaks. We're taking advantage of them with this huge crowd. And, 
And he said, I need to know if we can do that and if we can use PJ's music that's on the show. We need permission from everybody. I said, well, it's our show. And uh, Luke would be in favor. And PJ's music for the show is for the show. So he's definitely fine. He wants to hear, he wants to have his music played in front of as many people as possible. So heck yeah, play away. Do it. And uh, then we get word they're playing the Sportsman Drag Racing podcast over the PA and, um, you know, through the Motor Mania uh, TV live feed. So that was really cool. Shout out to Jake for thinking about that and, and helping us uh, get a little more attention there from the listeners. Yeah, it was a bit surreal. I tuned in to watch like the semis and the uh, finals of the 100 Grander on my phone after I put Gary to bed Saturday night. And uh, I'm watching about half asleep, kind of halfway tuned out, waiting for the finals to roll up there. And I'm like, who are these two idiots talking? And what? A- oh, <laughs> wait a second that's me yeah pretty cool thanks jake yeah i talked to jake actually on the phone yesterday and he said playing that over the pa when my voice come out over the pa uh, people thought i was there announcing and he said he had some people asking you know when i was going to be on the mic and whatnot so i appreciate that as well but is awesome that's a you know we've been asking tracks to play it but that was really cool motor mania has a big reach a lot of people out there watching SFG events and had a lot of interest in it. So it was great to, uh, to get that opportunity to have it, the Sportsman Drag Racing podcast played out there. And we appreciate it. And by all means, if anybody affiliated with Motor Mania TV is listening, you have the right to do that whenever you want to. So, Luke, uh, real quick, uh, after SFG talk there, I want to wrap up our bracket racing results. We don't want to skip over these guys. Uh, up in Richmond, Virginia, they had the 10 Grand Slams, a couple of 10Ks where Doug Foley on Saturday got the win over Ronnie Horwath. And on Sunday, Chris Moran got the win over Delton Harefield, the third. And Chris was in his trusty foot brake car swapping feet. And no no trans brake buttons, no chips, no none of that. True foot brake racing. He took his foot brake ride to the 10 Grand Slams and got the win on Sunday foot braking. So Chris is a buddy of mine. I'm, I'm, you know, I may be overhyping him, but that's a pretty dang strong accomplishment right there. Wow, that is impressive. And I assume that's not a race where, like, no box runs separate for a period of time. Like, he mixed it up with the, the box cars throughout eliminations, correct? Yes. To my knowledge, he just jumped in where he fit in and, uh, and got the win foot braking. So great job by Chris. And, uh, the guys up at Richmond always have great event there, the 10 grand slam. So it looked like another successful event for them. Great job by those guys as well. And then quickly, we'll talk about the drive for five at Huntsville Dragway presented by our favorite engine builder, Huntsville. They had rain on Friday. They saw that coming early, Luke. So they canceled that midweek and just decided to do 7,500 Saturday and Sunday. So turn into the drive for 75 and monster crowd, 322 entries on Saturday. Saw Ron Lane get the win over Jerry Sims. And then on Sunday, Josh Lynch took Braden Sloan's Nova and got the win over Jesse McKnight. A couple of Bayleton regulars there and Jerry Sims and Jesse McKnight, 308 entries on Sunday. Huge crowd for Bones, Andy, and the guys at Huntsville. And uh, another awesome drive for five event there at Huntsville Dragway. All right, Big Jed, from the East Coast to the West Coast. We teased it a little bit earlier. The NHRA Lucas Oil Series for 2017 came to a close with the annual Division 7 finale in Las Vegas. 
uh, created opportunity for high drama in a couple of uh, instances. Uh, a couple of championships yet to be decided down there. Top Dragster may have been the most interesting. As it ended up, John Richardson got the Wally in Las Vegas, defeated Kyle Seipel, friend of the show, podcast bump. And that also was the deciding event for the Top Dragster World Championship. We previewed it a little bit last week. Lynn Ellison came in as the leader and the favorite. Mike Coughlin and Steve Kastner had an opportunity to surpass him, but in order to do so, either of those guys would have had to win the race, win the event. Sorry, that the e-race that was that was a mixture between event and race. <laughs> Coughlin fell in round two. Kasner made it interesting. Uh, he advanced all the way to the semifinal round, so he was two win lights away, but ultimately came up short. And that means that the 2017 NHRA Racing RVs top dragster world champion is Lynn Ellison. So congrats to Lenny. Yeah, congrats to the Pirate. That was great to see him get the win. And there was a, a lot of love being shown to him on Facebook. So great job, Lynn. Uh, and Super Comp, Luke, uh, we already talked about this, was uh, Ryan Mangus got the win over Gary Wambolt. The championship was decided there. Uh, Austin Williams got the champ after Marco uh, went out in the opening round. So uh, no podcast bump there to Marco, but still all around great guy. And uh, congratulations to Austin Williams. He sealed the deal there with that loss by Marco. And um, man, I, I tell you that Austin, we know how talented he is, but it just seemed improbable for quite a while. But he persevered and got it done. I know that was very special for him. Yeah, cool on Austin's part, and, and I'm sure we'll, we'll try to, I don't want to promise every sportsman national champion come on the show, but I know Austin's a listener, Austin's a friend, I think he'll join us to shed a little bit of light on it, but I, I think his story is so cool, after having gone through what he went through last year, he led the championship yeah. for the last four or five months of the season, and just completely had the rug pulled out from under him, lost, I think, the round that he needed to win to improve, and on the same day, watched Nick Folk go on to win a race that he had to win to surpass him by a couple of points. Probably the, the sickest way to, to lose a championship, especially when it looked like it would was going to go your way all season. Austin's been on both sides of it. He's former world champion. He's finished second a couple of times. But it's cool to see him come back from that the very next season and, uh, and claim the ultimate prize. Yeah, it was. We didn't mention top sportsman earlier. No impact on the championship chase because Jeffrey Barker locked that up seemingly months ago. I think it became official a couple weeks ago. But at Las Vegas, the win went to Daryl Hemley over Joe Rubicek. Uh, yeah, I skipped right over that. That was your nice way of saying when you said we didn't mention it, you, what you meant to say was I just skipped right past it in the notes of the show. So thank you for going back and picking that up. It's all about teamwork. Super Street was Todd Sims over Trey Vetter. Trey's had quite the back half of the year. He's, he's performed extremely well. So good to see him get the runner up and Todd Sims taking the win there. Super stock was our buddy Jimmy D. Jimmy DeFrank got the win over Jason DeForest. Jimmy D wrapping up uh, another good year. Didn't quite get to the goal he was looking for, but solid year for him like he always has. Yeah, and another strong finish. You, you talked about uh, Trey. Who's a very talented young racer, but Jimmy got on a tear there the last month or so as well. Yeah, it seemed like he might have won uh, where you were at there in Utah, if I remember correctly. But good uh, good back half for him, like always. In stock, uh, again, we talked about it earlier, is the Sebra Performance Who's Hot, Ryan Mangus. Got that win over Mike McMahon. 
and uh, the championship there fell again to Justin Lamb, who became the third driver in history to win two in one season. Uh, he wrapped that. He clinched that there in Vegas uh, in the stock category. Um, we're going to talk to Justin again, get his take on all that. Super Gas, uh, which has a lot of stuff happening within that category, Luke. But Casey Plazier got the win, or is that Plazier? Oh, yeah, whatever. Uh, I always said pleasure. Not sure. Yeah, Should close enough. That. It's going to be one of those. Yeah, I, I, I like Casey a lot. Talk to him a lot. Pleasure. <laughs> We're going to roll with it. Uh, he might not. He might not have got Bogacki right every time either, so That's we'll go point. with it. Bradley Johnson was your runner-up there. And, um, again, Luke, that, this category is uh, it's still heating up and got a lot <laughs> on the line in Pomona. This is the one that is going all the way to the wire. It is going to Pomona, and it is getting good. It's been good. We've covered it a fair amount here on the show, but the, the players here are John LaBeouf Jr., who has been the season-long, seemingly, leader in Supergas. The challenger is Chris Cannon. Cannon came into Las Vegas needing a fourth-round win to clinch the national championship. As it ended up, he lost in round four. So obviously that didn't give him enough points to overtake Labuse and, and clinch the championship, but it did make his job in Pomona a little bit easier than it would have been had he lost earlier. Uh, what he has to do this weekend at the World Finals is win round two in Pomona to overtake Labuse and claim the 2017 NHRA Supergas National Championship. On Cannon's end, at least here, and, and forgive me because just geographically, like I hadn't paid a whole lot of attention to what Chris Cannon's done this year other than like win every divisional event that he's been to. But yeah. under the bright lights, and I'm just telling you as somebody that has been there and been in the situation, really been on both sides of it, leading and watching someone try to chase me and trying to be the hunter. Uh, that event, the pressure that's there, it is the last race of the season. Everyone knows it's the last race of the season. Everyone knows what's going on and what's at stake. And in case anyone forgets, uh, you've got Ryan Hart on the mic just to reiterate it every single round. Like it is, it, <laughs> until, unless you've been there and been a part of it, it is hard to explain the amount of pressure involved in that race. Chris Cannon, under that microscope, first round, 008. Second round, 004. Uh, third round, got a competition single, which we'll talk about a little bit later. Turn it fourth out red. In the deciding round, he's 10 take, uh, what does that come up to? That's 12. 14, I think. Yeah, 10 take 14 for the L. So it wasn't for um, lack of performance on his end that he has not overtaken John LaBoose just yet. There is, depending on who you talk to, Somewhere between a little and a lot more to this story. Um, it sounds like there is a lot of drama attached to this Supergas chase. We weren't there. We're going to speculate on it as little as we can. And at the same time, just kind of give our general thoughts. Basically, the way that I understand this, um, John LaBoose Jr. was on the premises. Cannot earn points. Was trying to block to keep Chris Cannon from passing him, obviously, like many of us would do. Followed yep. Cannon to the lanes for round one. That trying to race somebody in a random pairing setting sounds like it's very doable. In in reality, it's really difficult to pull off. And Labus missed Cannon by a pair or two. And Cannon came to the lanes surrounded by his his posse, so to speak, his his crew, his buddies, the way that I understand it. And Labus actually got paired with one of Cannon's friends. 
who defeated Laboose. And again, John had, had nothing to race for other than trying to defeat Cannon. So it didn't really hurt his championship chances. Yeah. It just kept him from having the opportunity to stop Cannon or to take him on one-on-one. Now, Cannon went on, obviously, one first round, um, one second round. Third round was paired with that same individual that defeated Laboose in round one. Obviously, one of his buddies, someone from his area. I don't know the particulars, but that opponent, Scott Sandvegan, was not able to make the call in round three. And maybe his car was broke, and he had no chance to make the call in round three. Obviously, the speculation is that he, he elected not to race Chris Cannon, to give him the free round, to get him one round closer to the championship. My take, and and I can, (laughs) assuming that's the case, like you could look at this from, or I'm going to look at it from two different perspectives, because I think most of us just focus on one. And the one that we tend to focus on is the, the contender standpoint. And from that standpoint, I would say that my take, my opinion, is both common and predictable. Like, I don't want to win that way. Like, if I'm going to win whatever the case may be, whether it's a national championship or a divisional championship or or a track championship, like, I want to go to bed that night feeling like I earned it. And otherwise, it's it's of no value, essentially, is is the way that I look Mm -hmm. at it. I think the way that most people look at it. And on the other side of that is, like, we realize how difficult it is to get to that point. And I think when you get to that point, you feel the need to show respect for your competition that has also worked really hard to get to that point and have that opportunity. Again, whether we're talking about a national championship, a divisional championship, a track championship, like it's difficult just to make it to that spot, that last race where potentially one round can decide it. And I think that there's just a respect typically among competitors that say, well, I know how hard I've worked to get here. So in turn, that means that I, I can assume that you've worked just as hard to get here. And out of respect to one another, whoever wins the most rounds wins this thing, you know, and, and let's, let's do it all on the up and up. And I think, obviously, I, in saying that, I would want to, to earn it or lose it on my own volition. And, I, and I'd be fine with it either way. And I think that most people would say the exact same thing. I don't know. Well, I, I do know from watching this in the past that not everyone would do the same thing. And it's in cases like that, that actions speak so loudly, we can't even hear what you're saying. You know what I mean? It's actions sure. speak louder than words. I think that takes it to a different level. But here's the opposite. I don't know if it's the opposite perspective, like the way that most people don't look at this. Don't put yourself in, and, and again, we're speculating here, but we're, we're using this as an example to have the discussion. It's one thing to put yourself in Chris Cannon's shoes. Put yourself in Scott Sandvegan's shoes, okay? That's your buddy. Let's say, for instance, Jed, it, it's you, and you've got an opportunity to win the world championship, and you have to win third round to do it. And I look at the ladder, and second round, I'm paired up with you. And I have no dog in this fight. Like, I'm, I'm there racing, but this round obviously means way more to you than it does to me. Now, I don't know what I would do in that situation, but I know how it would feel. And I would want to win that round less than you would want me to win that round. 
You know what I mean? Like, and that's the perspective that people don't realize. Like, it's one thing, and again, we don't know what happened here, but assuming that this is a gifted round, like, it's one thing to just bash Chris Cannon and say, well, nobody wants to win that way. Maybe he didn't want to win that way. Maybe his buddy didn't even give him the choice. And while I think, ultimately, I don't agree with that line of thinking, like, I can understand how you get to that point. So that, that's my only, my only suggestion here before you just, A, let's not rush to conclusions, and, and B, just think about this from a couple of different perspectives. This isn't necessarily solely the decision of the guy that's in contention for the championship. There's, there's multiple people involved here with different feelings and different agendas. Yeah, well said, Luke. You know, I had some thoughts on this, this subject, and, you know, I've been in the middle of these situations. I've also been a spectator, seen them play out. I think there, you know, has a lot of cases, there's been some malicious intent and people really trying to abuse the system. But sometimes it's not what you think it is. Just like you said, I mean, Chris might have just been totally uh, oblivious to whether or not his opponent was going to come to the starting line. Uh, I've seen a very similar situation where a racer didn't go to the lanes. Uh, the the guy racing for the championship asked him to come to the lanes, and he did not. So, you know, sometimes it is out of their hands. And, again, that's not always what you think you're seeing is what's taking place. I mean, uh, I've made mistakes relative to this subject, and... I think we grow sometimes people and these situations make us who we are, but uh, I'm against it. I'm not for it at all. Uh, Again, admittedly have made mistakes relative to it. So I'm speaking from experience and um, I tell you that you, you don't ever feel right about it. I don't know if it ever, if you ever really get it cleansed out of your system. So I don't think there's a place for it. We see it at all levels. You know, we, we've seen deals with John Force and his drivers blowing the tires off after they've gone down the track every run. And people get all upset about it. And, you know, if your teammates, I don't really know what you're supposed to do. You're probably supposed to do exactly what they did. But there's not really a place for it, I don't think. And if you're the driver that's asked somebody to do it for you, you don't think much of their integrity or their morals. And if you didn't have to be asked then you probably don't care a lot about that yourself. But again, it's like you said, it's not always the driver that has caused it or the one chasing the championship that's caused it. Sometimes it's out of their hands. So it's not always what meets the eye. So no place for it really. But again, I can understand totally how it happens. Yeah. And to your point, like, I, I don't know if you want to go any more into depth on your, your, personal experiences i i think i will at the risk of making this the longest sportsman drag racing podcast in recorded history we, we do have an interview with justin lamb coming up justin likes to talk as much as i do i think this could be a good one for that vocal minority that says well i'd like to have a two-hour show you might get it today but i, I will share a story from my youth this was like 1997, so I'm 16 years old. My home track had a separate, like on Thursday night, I think every Thursday night of the year, we had a, a separate high school program with a, a year-end points championship. And the way that this shook down, I'll, A, I could name names and like 
six people in the world would know who I'm talking about, I think. Like, they're not even involved in racing anymore. But I just won't. I'll say me and, and another driver were basically back and forth for the lead of this thing all season long. And coming into the last event, I was, I think, like two rounds behind, something like that. And I tried with everything I could to to pair with this opponent and each round. Like, I just, I wanted to settle it myself on the racetrack. We were unable, I was unable to do that. A random draw, as I said before, it's easier said than done to hook somebody and, and try to race them. And so... As it ends up, I believe it was the quarterfinal round. We're both still in. He needs to lose, and I need to... I'm pretty sure it was the quarterfinal. He needed to lose the round. I needed to win the race. So, like, this is the last chance that I have to pull this off. And I I, I was unable to pair him again, but my buddy raced him, and my buddy beat him. And I won my round, so now I have a chance. And I won the semifinal round, as did my buddy. So now I'm in the final round. If I win the final, I win the points championship, which I don't even think paid anything, but obviously it seemed like a big deal at the time, against my buddy. And we high-fived when he beat Racer X, you know, that I was that I was um, in contention with at six cars. And I don't even remember if there was a conversation between us. Like, I don't necessarily think it was his idea. I don't necessarily think it was my idea. Like, it was just mutually agreed upon. We didn't have to talk about it. There ain't no way he's beaten me. He staged and I think left on like the top amber. And I watched my tree come down with my wind light on and won that round and, and won that track championship. And I felt fine about it at the time. But here I am 20 years later and that championship to this day, like I, it just feels a little dirty to me. You know what I mean? And like you said, you just never completely get over that. Like I, I think. I would have won that round have we raced straight up. I should have. Like, I was certainly the favorite. I was in basically a, a race car, quote unquote, against a street car. Like, I'm, I'm supposed to win, but I, I, we didn't do it that way. And I'll never know. And I just, there's something that, that takes the luster off of that, even to this day, now that I look back on it. Um, yeah. So, to wrap this up a little bit, the, the right quote unquote way to handle this and the way that I'd like to see everyone handle it and again it's just my opinion but let's say let's say that the 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 example that I laid out earlier is the case it's me and you Jed you're in contention for the world championship you're a round away whatever the case may be we're paired up and I come to you and say Jed I don't want to win this round like I don't even want to go up there I don't want to take a chance I don't want I don't want to try to throw it like I just I'm just going to push my car in the trailer. I, I'm not racing you. The quote unquote right thing there, what I wish everyone would do is for you to say, Luke, that ain't happening. Like, yeah. I want to win this thing as bad as anybody. But if you don't race me and if you don't try with everything you've got to beat me, then our friendship's going to come into question. That's the way that should be handled. And it takes a, a lot of stones to do that. But I would like yeah. to think that that's the way that I would handle it in the future. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. And uh, again, I think um, tough situations like that in life is what makes you who you are and you grow and you learn from it. And um, so I don't necessarily condemn those involved in these situations, but uh, I, I'd certainly yeah, given the opportunity to coach against it. Yeah. Okay. Now. Way, way, immensely more important than any of that. I was hoping we wouldn't get to this. When Lynn Ellison clinched the top dragster world championship, or more appropriately, when Mike Coughlin didn't 
it cemented my victory in our NHRA Pick'em contest. Hashtag <laughs> Team Luke came through. <laughs> Thanks uh, in large part to Jeffrey Barker, top sportsman world champion, and Justin Lamb, Superstock world champion. Those are my two tallies. Uh, Jed's lone champ was Austin Williams in Supercomp. I could. I love you, Austin. I could, by the way, add to my total and just completely blow you out of the water if John LaBoose Jr. does hold on to win the Super Gas Championship, but it really doesn't matter. I am the 2017 Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast NHRA Pick'em winner. <laughs> we get it, okay? Yeah, yeah. We well, just, just wanted to make it clear, make sure that there was there was no, uh, no shadow of doubt there. We put it up on the poll last week, shout out, Mark. For what your punishment should be. And we have a conclusion there, Jed. Our listeners really should get more creative. This is, and I made the statement <laughs> while you and Mark and I were emailing around and, and getting this thing all settled and getting the show settled and what we were going to talk about. I made the statement at the time that uh, not only I hate my punishment, but I hate the person that suggested it. Then it was brought to my attention that David Deming suggested it and i love david deming so yeah, that, that sounds a little harsh jed yeah i'm going to remove the word hate from uh saying that i hate the person that that suggested it but uh, david i do hate your thought process and how you come to the the idea that this needed to be the punishment See, but I, I don't hate you i love you i don't i don't have a problem with it yeah yeah well i guess you wouldn't luke um 12 by 12 too i mean uh, it's it's said to be a 12 by 12 decal. That's a foot long by a foot tall, for those of you who aren't good at math. I mean, really? Do we have to? I mean, do I have to take up two square feet of my, well, it'd be one square foot of my back window? Yeah, let's don't exaggerate this any more than you have to, Big Jeff. <laughs> I mean, the punishment is going to be a caricature of me picking my nose and saying what's the saying this is the only winner i can pick or yeah something to that extent the only pick something I can like right yeah uh, yeah uh -huh. so yeah. now the issue becomes jed and i i'm gonna struggle to even say this word because it's just one that won't come off the tip of my tongue we need a listener capable of producing a caricature like that's good. That, got, that could be a big hurdle in, in, in this development. We need a yeah, caricature uh, of Jed. Yeah, this knows. is better than just drawing. I mean, putting yeah, a, right, doing right. a caricature, that's that's better than just drawing. So, you know, that enhances the features and it's it's obviously way more head than it is body and it's 12 by 12. So I'm guessing it's just going to be a headshot anyway, but we do need one of our creative listeners and actually more of you can submit and we'll try to pick the one that is not going to embarrass me the most, but draw out a caricature. Jed, let's of, be honest. We don't have yeah. a ton of listeners here, much less listeners that are this talented. I mean, if we had three, we would be more than happy to have a vote, but I'm just looking for one. <laughs> yeah, just... Just one. I, I guess I'm letting myself believe there will be multiple uh, uh, submissions, but maybe not. There is a lot of big it, Jed love out there. I may be underestimating that. I mean, this has to be of me picking my nose. And let's don't get, guys, I mean, come on. Let's don't get crazy. Let's don't go knuckle deep here. <laughs> maybe, just a, maybe just a tip. You know, nothing gross. But somebody draws a caricature of me 
picking my nose and saying the only way I can pick a winner. Um, and we'll we'll get a decal made. And <laughs> I, I don't think we've agreed that it had to be on my back window. I've joked in our emails that I'll proudly display it inside my trunk. But I will make it visible and it will be for the entire 2018 season. Congratulations, Luke. You have bested me once again and proven to be the best picker of national champions. And uh, I'm really, really happy for you. Oh, we're going to cut that little segment out. That's going to be a drop at some point. I, I love hearing <laughs> that. All right, Big Jet, before we have Justin Lamb on uh, for this week's big interview, uh, let's pay some bills and tell everybody a little bit about racing RVs and about Portatree. It's that time of year where many of us are looking at upgrading racing equipment. Maybe it's a freshen up, maybe it's a new motor, maybe it's a new race car. If it's time to upgrade your support equipment, be it trailer or RV, check out RacingRVs.com or give Joe a call at 419-236-1328. Why Racing RVs? Well, for one, they support sportsman drag racing like no other. Racing RVs is the presenting sponsor of the NHRA Top Dragster and Top Sportsman categories. They're heavily involved in all the SFG events. They sponsor a number of successful sportsman racers, and they presented every episode of this podcast but what can racing rvs do for you quality coaches and trailers at fair prices new or used trade-ins financing consignment nationwide delivery no matter your need racing rvs should be your first phone call in addition to racing rvs this week's podcast is presented by portatree for most racers around the country we are approaching the off season and what better way to use the off-season to prepare for 2018 than to have a regular practice regimen in place. Portatree Products makes great gifts for racers. If you are assembling that wish list this holiday season, make sure to put Portatree on it. From full-size trees to the practice tree that we personally use and recommend, the Eliminator Next-Gen Touchscreen Practice Tree, Portatree has all of the practice equipment that you'll need. For more information, call Portatree at 1-800-541-7613 and be sure to mention promo code JINGLE10, which will give you 10% off any order through the month of January. All right, as promised, joining us on the phone now is a winner of 18 NHRA national events in six different categories which makes him one of only four drivers to do that, by the way. He just became the third driver in NHRA history to capture two world championships in the same season, which now makes him a four-time NHRA world champion. Great to have Justin Lamb joining us on the phone. Justin, how you doing, bud? I'm doing good. How are you guys? Oh, man, we're great. Thanks for joining us. No, thanks for having me. It's uh, pretty cool. Yeah, Justin, man, thanks for coming on with us. About, it's shoot, it's hard to believe it's almost a year ago now, we interviewed Jeff Strickland after his similar feat. Jeff was the 2016 NHRA World Champion in both Stock Eliminator and Top Dragster. And I remember thinking at the time, and I might have even said it on the show, that this may never happen again. And yet here we are, just a year later. Did you ever allow yourself to imagine that you could pull this off, two championships in one season, just the third driver to ever do it? I honestly didn't. 
even more so didn't this year. Like stock wasn't even wasn't even on the radar. Basically, we we decided to buy a new car. Obviously, I didn't get it till like he was late April, early May, something like that. Didn't even get to the track till June with it. So I switched cars mid-season. I did start off decent in my 70. You know, I had a final, a semi and whatever, but then I parked it and I'm like, oh, it's going to take me a while to figure this car out and everything else. So the bottom line is this super stock was a goal from the beginning of the year. You know, it's something that we wanted to do, but just because it's a goal doesn't mean it's going to happen. But stock was just absolutely not even on the radar. And as you know, it takes so much effort and I guess I'm probably kind of obsessive. So it, I almost drive myself nuts, like making sure everything's perfect, like making sure the cars are perfect, everything, especially when chasing points. Because, I mean, if you have a starter fail or something, I mean, just something simple, it costs you a round. That might cost you the championship. Well, I never even imagined trying to race for two at once because I would drive myself nuts. And I pretty much have <laughs> the last month or two, say, but just, it was only a month or two. <laughs> Justin Lamb being kind of obsessive might be the statement of the year. <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean that in the most positive way possible. <laughs> yeah, no, I I understand, but it's just I don't know. I, any small like the, just the dumbest thing could cost you a race, and that could be it. And and to be honest with you, I I thought stock uh, on that point when I was at Salt Lake Divisional, I raced the first race. I plan on racing both. And uh, when I raced the first race, I, I don't even know what round it was. Maybe fourth or fifth round. Yeah, the two like step, the my bottom line is the brake pressure. Yeah, I think it was the quarterfinal. Well, the round before the brake pressure switch didn't work. Well, I assumed, oh, I didn't have enough brake pressure. Yeah, I use a brake pressure act two step. And uh, so I thought, oh, yeah, I didn't have enough brake pressure. No big deal. Well, I come back to the pits. I check it. It works. It works. I wake up the next morning. You know, it, it got too late that night. We race the next morning and uh, the thing won't work again. And bottom line is, is the brake pressure switch cost, cost me the race. I, I went up and I was going to foot brake. As soon as I let off the brake, ironically, the, the failed brake pressure switch activated the two-step with no brake pressure. It actually made it activate. Totally screwy deal. But here, this is a perfect example of, yes, I'm obsessive, but that could have cost me a championship. And at the time, I thought it did. Like, I really needed to win that race. I needed those points, it, all of the above. And, you know, you just never know. Like, I mean, that's like a $70 part that could have cost me the championship, you know. Yeah, no doubt that uh, any little small thing goes wrong, it could cost you big time when you're in the hunt for both. And Justin, you know, you it's so impressive that you win both of the bottom bulb categories, you know, obviously in two different types of cars, two different styles of racing. You are using your feet in the stocker and you're letting go of the button in the super stocker, which, you know, seems like you can kind of get in a rhythm, but... For guys that do it at that level, they know there's a lot of differences in those two vehicles. How do you explain your ability to, to stay focused on the starting line in each category or collectively? Well, I would say my Cobalt, I genuinely feel like I've made so many runs in that car, and it's almost not a rhythm thing in that car. Like I just feel like I've, I can get in, and most of the time I can hit the tree and hit the tree well, multiple runs in a row, not a problem. Now, the stalker is a little bit different because, I mean, even in Vegas, like, uh, I, I don't have the results in front of me, but like the Vegas National that I that I won a couple weeks ago, uh, it, it was like I started off maybe like a 40, a 30, and then I just decided, you know what, if I need to win this championship, I kind of need to get my stuff together. And I got in a rhythm, and from then I was like, I don't know, 003, perfect, 005, and 10, or whatever it was, and I got in a rhythm. My, mm. And uh, 
it's totally like a rhythm and like a confidence thing, especially in that car. I'll be honest. I'm not overly comfortable in that car. It's, it's really hard to see out of. It's, 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 I'm not just comfortable in it. Like I get my cobalt and it's like home, you know, that car is definitely not that way. And, uh, so it takes a lot more focus. Like I really have to pay attention. I really have to block everything out and just, you know, make sure I hit my spot, blah, blah, blah. My cobalt, as crazy as it sounds, I mean, there's times I go up there and it's almost like when you're texting and driving, you know, like you're texting and driving and all of a sudden you're three blocks farther than you were. I feel like that. I'll be at half track. Like, oh yeah, I hit the tree already. Like I just do it. I don't know what it is. I probably made 2000 runs in that car in the last seven or eight seasons. And I guess I'm just comfortable in it. Justin, you look comfortable. <laughs> no question. <laughs> You're now, or maybe now is not the right, within a, a week, I guess. I know it's official, but you don't have the trophies. But you are a, now a four-time NHRA world champion. At and it, Correct me if I'm wrong, that's four in the last four years, right? Did you win your first in 14? Well, my first in uh, 13, so five years. Okay, so four in the last five years. And I believe you're currently 30 years old. I don't know how much time, yeah. I, or I shouldn't even say I don't know how much time. I know you don't spend much time thinking about your accomplishments or your rank among the elite drivers in the country. But man, that is legacy type stuff. Your good friend and, and mentor of sorts, Peter Biondo, has seven. Most of anyone, I believe, in the sportsman ranks, not named Frank Manzo. That seems within reach, like especially if you keep winning two a year. Um, do you ever ever consider your chances at, at matching or eclipsing that mark? I haven't really thought about it at all, to be honest. I guess in my head is as crazy as it sounds, but I, I just like I look at him like he's on a completely different level. Another person I look at like like Gary Stinning, completely different level. And maybe I shouldn't do that, or maybe it's like an age thing. I, I don't know, but I just don't even compare to this, like to the stuff that Peter's done at all, not even in the same realm. So I, I haven't ever thought about it. And that being said, at this point, being that the, it's the end of the season, I'm not even considering going to a divisional next year. So I just, I'm burned out and I, I want a break and I want to go to some nationals and enjoy myself. And so immediately, no, I'm not thinking about that. Would it be cool? Yeah, it would be awesome, but I definitely haven't thought about it. And, and the other thing that is a huge difference between what Pete has done and, and what I've done. I mean, Pete has done it. Uh, I know stock super stock and I believe super gas. He's done, I don't know if he's done super comp or not, but the bottom line, I mean, he, I know the super gas scenario. That was only a few years ago. And he jumped in a car he'd never driven before in a class. He never even really raced for points before and won a championship in, you know, being super gas. And I don't think that's something that I could just jump in and do. So I, I think that's what makes his seven, more impressive than, I mean, just winning seven in the same one or two classes would be a lot, I wouldn't say easier, but it, it doesn't take the skill level to win it in multiple classes like he has, you know? Yeah. Justin, you touched on it a little bit earlier coming into the race at, at Rocky Mountain Raceway, but at what point in the season did you feel like you had a realistic shot to win the championship, not just in one, but both categories? At the Vegas National second round, I think would be when I really thought I had a chance in stock. I know, you I know like you're giggling, but away, right? <laughs> well, here's the difference. Uh, to be honest with you, uh, Kevin Helms was bettering a second rounder. Mm-hmm. He was claiming Vegas. Coming into the weekend, I was, I think, like three and a half. So round up, I was four rounds behind basically, and 
I had no doubt in my mind that he's a great racer, great person, all of the above. Like he's going to go some rounds. And the bottom line is even if I matched him round for round, if we're both in the fifth round, I'm still four rounds behind. And after the Vegas national, I, I was bettering a second rounder myself. And after that, I think I was dropping seventies. So it was like, all of a sudden, if we both go, let's say to the fifth round, now I have to win Vegas divisional and Pomona or something to catch him or win and runner up. It, mm-hmm. it, it just seems so far fetched. But once he lost and was out, I think he lost first round there. Well, then it was like realistic. Like, wait a second, I'm on the buy side. I need to get to the finals, but really I just need to get to the semis because I have a semi buy. Like, it all just made sense. I'm like, wow, I could really do this, you know? So it was really a lot later, a lot because I know what Kevin Helms is capable of, and I fully expected him to go a lot of rounds. So that would be why it took me so long to to really think it was possible. Yeah, no, that's a fair point. Justin, I know, and I don't know how deeply you'd want to get into this, but I know that you and I discussed this personally, and I think I've even mentioned it on the show, but it felt as if from the outside, at least, that the Springfling Million was like a, a turning point in your season, maybe from a even from a confidence perspective, if that's possible for a, a two-time world champion like yourself to gain more confidence. And how could it not have been after the performance that you put on there? I, I know that you came into that race. I don't know if like a, a bit of a chip on your shoulder is the right way to put it, but how did that performance kind of, I don't know, change your season or set the tone for the rest of the season for you? Um, I definitely think it helped with confidence. Uh, I mean, I probably drove like the best single race I'd ever driven at the fling. It was probably race. Most of us have ever seen. Oh, it was very impressive. (laughs) Well, yeah, but so that, that definitely helped with confidence. The other thing that, uh, I, I almost think it might've helped was losing the final. Like I wanted so badly to win in part because I came from pro, like coming into the seat, like before that night, nobody in pro that ever won the pro 32 had ever even won one round in the regular race. And, I know how good the guys in pro are and we're better than that. Like, so I had that to prove and I wanted to win so badly. I, I forget what the final was, but I, I was double O and I went like a couple thou under. He was a couple hundreds over dropping and it, needless to say it, it almost made me want to win even more. So it was almost like, I feel like I would have maybe settled a little bit more for the whole season. Like, man, I won day one of the fling off the bottom, blah, blah, blah. Like, well, it kind of like kept my drive. Like I didn't win. And yeah, I won a few rounds in super pro essentially, but I didn't win. And it, and that was almost a lot of motivation. Like I want to win something this year, you know, like something big. So it, it kind of kept that drive going. If that makes any sense at all. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and again, kind of going in a little bit different direction here, but earlier in the show, um, Jared and I discussed it, pretty strong length and and this obviously is, is brought on by the the super gas points chase in this season but we're not necessarily talking directly about chris gannon and john lewis jr but talking about the idea of the gifted rounds so to speak the the buddy laying down for you or the purchasing rounds or whatever and i just know that from for you personally like you went through a lot of accusations when your stock eliminator championship, if I believe, if I remember correctly, a few years back in a situation where it looked like you could look on the internet and it looked fishy. I think your opponent, the round that you needed to win the world was like way red or something like that. And as it turns out, I believe his two-step malfunctioned or just something goofy. Like you were just the beneficiary of good fortune at the right time. Um, But having been through that 
on that end, which is a perspective most of us have never subjected ourselves to or been subjected to, I should say, like, what are your overall thoughts on the whole championship chase and the idea of kind of getting that free round somewhere along the line? Well, I think that it's a very loaded scenario, I guess. Like, it's just, there's so many different ways it could happen. First of all, being accused and dealing with that is absolutely miserable. I mean, my second championship was so, it was like so rewarding because there was never any question. Like, I never even had like a somewhat easy round. I mean, like, I had to win every round. I mean, the, the final race of the year when I won Superstock last time, I raced the guy that was leading the points first round. If he beats me, he's the world champion. If I win, I still got to win five more rounds, you know, like it was definitely like so rewarding because the first time there was these accusations, you know, and it, and it was terrible. And, and that being said, like, I can't tell you how frustrating it was in Vegas a couple of weeks ago. I raced Scott Burton and I think he was 30 red, maybe 40 who he's not someone that would do that. And, and just the scenario on this, I get to the lanes and, and I'm friends with the Burton. There's no doubt about it. More Brad than Scott, obviously he's my age and we race together a lot, but, I get to the lanes and Scott says, Hey, just take whatever lane you want. I know you've been in the right. Just stay there. And I said, no, absolutely not. Like we're flipping lanes. You've been in the right. I've been in the right. Whoever loses is going in the left lane. I ran the left lane. It's almost like at this point, because of what happened a couple of years ago, I'm so adamant. I don't want even the, I don't even want lane choice given to me because someone's going to say, well, Scott gave him his lane and that's why he won the world. It's like, really? And then, then for him to go that red, it, it was so frustrating to me. Like I wanted him to put up a good run very badly. And, and I just wanted to hopefully be good enough to beat that good run. And so it's, it's absolutely the worst thing in the world to deal with. I hate it. But that being said, no matter how much you do to make sure it doesn't happen, your runs are under the microscope. Like I guarantee you people have been 30 or 40 red 50 other times this year. And it's never even thought about, <laughs> but because it's the last race of the year, it's under a microscope. And Unless you're there, you don't see it. You don't know. I mean, realistically, I'm perfect in the other lane. Like, I'm perfect and I'm going mid-dead on. I'm not losing anyway, more than likely. Like, right. But nobody cares. All they see is Burton was red, and it's frustrating. As far as my opinion on should or shouldn't people lay down, I don't think as competitors anybody wants – like, they want to earn everything. And that being said – if Kyle was racing, I'm assuming most people know, but Kyle and I, uh, Kyle Sapp and I raced together and we have for years. And if he's going for a top dragster world championship and he's got to win the fourth round and him and I race the third round and I own the car he's driving, I'm driving the other car that I like, and he's going to win the world. Championship. I'm not even going to the lane. Like, and it's not even his choice. Like I'm, I'm not even going to race him, but, but that's different. Like I own the cars or my father owns the cars, you know, we're a team. We race out of the same trailer week in and week out. I don't see a problem with that. It's just your buddy that you kind of know. I, I have a big problem with that. Like you should earn the round. Absolutely. So I don't know if that really makes sense, but I just kind of feel like, like if you were genuinely teammates racing out of the same trailer, blah, blah, blah. I, I would assume uh, if you're racing for a world championship, Jessica's not going to be you. At the last race of the season. Right. No, and I, I completely understand what you're saying. And I think, and that's what we tried to discuss earlier in the show as well, Justin, is that the idea that there are so many variables and potentially different situations that until you're there, I don't know, it's it's difficult. I would say it's impossible. We all try, but I think it's impossible to truly pass judgment on it. 
Yeah, and it is. It's tough. Like, and it's very situational, and and anybody can sit back on the internet. And and I don't know. Uh, I I wish I did because I could maybe have some more insight on it. But I know that I think it was third round this weekend. There was a division six racer, and for all I know, it's Chris Cannon's best friend. I have no idea. And so I don't know the situation. I don't know if this round was right or wrong. And I was even at the track. I had no idea. Right. So I don't know how I feel about that. I mean, they could have had the same cars in the same trailer. Like, I, I don't know. And I don't really know Chris Cannon. So I, I can't really judge what happened. I can tell you, uh, the last two weeks I've watched this whole super gas situation play out and it's way more drama than I would ever hope a a points chase would be and and all things being said chris cannon is driving exceptionally well like, yeah that was one thing that we double o a lot well. and yeah and so like i said i, I don't know how i feel about it because i just don't know like i don't know the other gentleman right um, i don't know chris cannon nor do i know who he raced so I, I don't really know if it was right or wrong but i can tell you even if he was given that one round if he ends up winning this championship he really drove his butt off in a very high pressure situation with way more drama than I would have ever hoped would have been there. It's almost like WWE at the racetrack right now. So <laughs> we appreciate the uh, open and honest perspective there, Justin. That was very well said. Justin, you've said before that chasing a championship isn't really the priority for you that it was once was uh, besides the fact that you've accomplished something that's only been done twice prior what made the 2017 run so special? Well, at this point, it's winning two championships in one season. Is I, I mean, it's something I never even dreamed of. I don't even think it's set in, really. Other than that, to me, my 2015 championship was the most special just because 2013, there was all of this drama. And 2015, it was like, like here, I did it. Like, not one person can say a word now, you know? Like, this season was special in just... I would say like the memories, like, you know, I get to race with one of my best friends every week and we have a blast together, not at, just at the racetrack when we, we do all kinds of fun stuff while we're out racing. And, and, uh, so Kyle and I have a great time together and my family, uh, gets to come with me a lot. You know, my, my mom and dad obviously own everything and, and, uh, it's fun racing with them and it's fun racing with my wife and kids. Uh, my son, Jace is old enough now. He's almost four and he's actually like gets excited about winning and racing and, so this, to me, the season in general wasn't any more special for like specifically the championship as much as it's just like, it was a season full of great memories. Like we had a lot of success, went to a lot of final rounds and Kyle and I both, and, uh, and we just had a lot of fun with our family and one of my best friends. So it was just a, it was just a fun year. Cool. Yeah. Good stuff. Justin, we typically wrap these up with a little bit of rapid fire, quick questions, quick responses. You, uh, you up for a little bit of that? Not, not always racing related. We try to have a little bit of fun with this. Yes, of course. All right. I, we led into the show talking a little bit about how fired up I am about college hoops as a, uh, as a hoops junkie yourself. How many wins for your running web <laughs> this season? Do the runner rebels still have a team? Oh, I thought since like Marvin ninety one or ninety two, they kind of quit. Don't you guys have a great recruiting class coming in? Isn't there excitement in Las yeah. Vegas? <laughs> Stacy Ogman is not we, still there. Right? No, I think he's gone. Uh, you know, uh, I I honestly have not even looked at it. Uh, 
honestly, I'm kind of stuck in the college football right now. And uh, my father and I are both very big Notre Dame fans, and they're looking really good right now. So who cares about basketball? Uh, you're speaking Jed's language. Come on now. All right. Yeah, now you're talking. Right. <laughs> but in a, it, you asked me the same question in two months. I'll, I'll have an answer for you. But right now, it's all about Notre Dame and college football. <laughs> Uh, Justin, you, you travel quite a bit racing. I think I know the answer to this, even though you travel a lot. What is your favorite racing venue? Absolutely Sonoma Raceway. Um, Really? Yeah, without a doubt. I don't know the number, but as a team and myself, I've, we've won more races there than anywhere, which obviously helps you like a place, but on top of that, if nobody's been there, it's like the most beautiful track ever. It's in the middle of wine country, these big rolling hills. And I mean, you literally can leave the, you could just about walk to the closest vineyard out the front gate of that track. And it's just really pretty gorgeous weather. You never have a threat of rain or any, I mean, it's just, it's an awesome place to race. It, it is Kyle's home track. And, and his mom is actually the uh, track operator there and has been for a very long time. And so that's kind of cool. Also, you know, um, but yeah, without a doubt, Sonoma Raceway. It, it's it's very cool and it's been very good to us. It Great. is it is a cool setting and a cool part of the world. I agree. Best place to eat in Las Vegas? A place called the Pasta Shop. It's an Italian restaurant. It's probably about fifteen minutes from my house, or or fifteen minutes off the Strip, essentially. And the owners, uh, it's two brothers that that used to be the personal chef of Frank Sinatra, actually, and. During the day, they make homemade pasta and sell it to some of the high-end restaurants in town. And at night, they open up and actually, you know, serve dinner. And it's just really, really good food. So Nice. I have to try that on the next trip. Uh, Justin, when you aren't racing, you're what? It depends. Summer or winter. In the summer, uh, it's always doing something with the family. But in the summer, we enjoy going boating. We have uh, Lake Mead real close here, which is like the largest man-made lake. And, uh, we, we go boating a lot, uh, you know, Janine and I and the kids, and, uh, we really enjoy that. I don't like being cold, so I'm not much of a winter person. So winter time ends up consisting of going to concerts and things like that, but I'm not much of a, like go snow skiing or something like that. I kind of despise the cold. So in the winter, it ends up being, you know, like indoor things like concerts and things like that. And, uh, definitely boating in the summer. All right, last question, and this is probably the biggest question with possibly the most obvious answer, but how much credit is Kyle Seipel claiming for your championship seasons? And you can go complete he Kyle claiming... on me here and give me a percentage, because that would be very Kyle. Ooh. That's difficult. I, I don't know what he's claiming. <laughs> I could give you my personal number, and people are going to think it's crazy, so... I'm going to give a longer response here. I know it's supposed to be quick, but <laughs> for the world that doesn't know, if Kyle Seipel, all he had to do to lock up a world championship was change oil in the drag street drives, he would finish second. <laughs> like, he literally could not change oil. <laughs> Nothing. Zero. Like, he can sometimes hand me a 916 wrench if I ask, but you might get a half inch. Like, he is clueless when it comes to working on the car. And so, so many of my buddies around here give us a hard time like man justin does everything he does nothing i can tell you this it is irreplaceable what he does for me and for us as a team because i don't trust anybody in the world to dial my car except for him and and peter but 
Peter doesn't even come to the racetrack these days. So he's, he's one of two people in the world I would even trust with dialing my car. So it's, we have a really, really good situation. He's one of the best with the weather and dialing. He's very good with the ladders and I'm pretty good at keeping the cars running and uh, we both do okay driving once in a while. So we have like a really good thing. Like I, I keep the cars going, he dials and, and I can't tell you if I had to put a number on it, I'd say probably 35 to 40% of the, these championships are accredited to him. Yeah. I technically drove the cars, but like one example would be Woodburn. We were in Woodburn uh, for the points race and the last qualifying run, he figures out that there was like three more cars added, which meant there was a buy, whatever. Needless to say, he tells me I need to get to this certain spot. There was like a 600s window. We get it. I get a second round by, he turned a five round race into a four. If I'm sitting in the car in the lanes, I have no idea of that. If he's not there, I'm going to race a five round race. Instead, I race a four, you know? So he's way more helpful than uh, people realize because people just assume that since he can't work on cars, that, that he just hangs out all day and relaxes on the couch. He actually <laughs> does do more than that. That is valuable. He does spend a lot of time on the couch though. <laughs> Okay, now that was a great answer, and and you gave your percentage, but the question is, how much credit is Kyle claiming? So if your number is thirty five percent, okay. <laughs> I bet it's. I really no. I I don't know. I'd have to ask, but I bet it's. It might actually be lower than my number. Like, uh, he is probably the least selfish person I know, ever. I think you guys should call him next and just ask him without telling him mine and see what he says. But I wouldn't be surprised if it was lower than mine. That was a great. Answer. I wouldn't be surprised. I was. Really I wouldn't hoping... be surprised if it was double. Yeah, I was really hoping you <laughs> would take the bait there, and I was. I was teeing you up to throw no. you under the bus, but obviously that's not happening. So good interview. Thanks, Justin. Yeah. No. <laughs> yep. No problem. Thank you, guys. <laughs> I definitely want to say thanks to Justin Lamb for that interview. Great insight by Justin and uh, just a all-around genuine guy. Good to get his take on the 2017 uh, magical season that he had. Luke, we've talked a lot about Pomona and, and what's going to happen there. Still uh, super gas up for grabs. But there's something else going on big at Pomona that, that us bracket racers uh, kind of live for, you know, especially on the local level. That's the uh, the world finals in ET racing. We've got super pro, pro, sportsman, and motorcycle categories, and those tickets are punched in all divisions. And we've got several, several drivers that we know well and a lot that we don't know so well. They're going to be out there vying for a, a world championship in their category. Yeah, it's fun to keep up on social media this week as some of these guys, especially those from the, the East Coast, make their trek cross-country to uh, Pomona. And, and let's be frank, Jed, just being a part of this event, this eight-car runoff, is a significant accomplishment. In order yeah. to, to earn these spots, these racers have either won their bracket finals main event, won their race of champions at the bracket finals, depending on how their home division does it, or won one of the wild card drawings, which, again, most divisions still reward to the winner of the race of champions and or main event. So everybody that is headed to Pomona for these events is already a division champion on some level, and now the best of the best square off in one race to determine the world championship. I know it's $5,000 to the winner. I believe there's 
there's three grand a runner up. I think everybody that gets there gets some travel expenses compensated, but this deal is about, about way more than the money. This is the most prestigious prize for the weekly bracket racer in all the land. Yeah, no doubt. And uh, I hear great things about how they're treated out there, how they're uh, put in great parking. So enjoy the experience to each and every one of you that are going to be a part of it. Luke, let's run down the list real quick. I'll uh, quickly go down the Super Pro list. Division one is Todd Martin. Division two is our buddy Brendan George. Division three is Carl Keel. Division four is our buddy Eric Sandlin. Division five is the Red Hot Todd Piper. Division six is Andy Schlinker. Division seven is Caitlin Wynott. And the wild card was Division six's Dale Green. Out of that list, who do you uh, who do you see coming out on top? Oh, great minds think alike. We didn't we didn't talk about that beforehand, but I was going to uh, challenge you to pick a winner. My man, I'm torn here. My head says Todd Piper because he's been there before and obviously a super talented racer. And I got a root for my members of Elite. My heart, as you know, is going to go with Easy because it ain't easy being E. <laughs> Eric Sandlin and D Love Machine. That's uh, I'll be rooting for both of those guys. Yeah, definitely. Uh, e is a guy that's uh, going to be somebody I'm rooting for. Uh, obviously, my division is Division Two, so Brennan George, the Florida Duck, is somebody that I would like to see come out on top. But I, I, I still think Todd Piper is probably uh, in his element the most out of any of the drivers, and he's red hot. So I, I look for Todd to, to do something pretty special there. Yeah, the pro class, and keep in mind, like, these are our racers from every corner of the country. I know, Jed, you're not, I'm not familiar with every name on this list, but I'm familiar with most of the names in pro. Like, this looks stacked. The yeah. Division One representative, Butch Weinrich. Division Two Tim Griffith, who has won the national championship before. I believe it was in Sportsman. Maybe yeah. the first year of it. Division Three rep is Boyd Butcher. Division Four Jason Patterson. Division Five Eric Johnson. Robert Steffen will represent Division 6. The aforementioned Ryan Mangus is the Division 7 rep. And the wild card, again from your neck of the woods, Division 2 rep, Troy Stafford. Jed, you are a bottom bulb guy. Where are you going here? Who's your pick? Well, you know, Ryan Mangus being at home and having the talent that he has seems to be the easy choice for me. But he might just be too comfortable out there. Obviously, still want to see Division Two get it done because I'm a homer. We've learned that through the All-State Challenge and anything Alabama. But Jason Patterson is the guy that might sneak up on him out there. He's a Division Four guy. He's extremely talented and aggressive. I think Jason's going to go out there and make some noise. Yeah, I'm with you. It's hard to bet against Mangus. I think he probably is a subject to anybody to keep that role going, but... I'm going to go your Division Two homer. I've raced with Tim Griffith more than anybody on this list and have a ton of respect for him. I'll take Tim to uh, to win his second national championship out there. Yeah, and his first one came in a Jeep Cherokee that he drove out there, by the way. So uh, he's very, very capable. Same and Jeep the, Cherokee that, by the way, I staged beside in the semifinals of a 10-grander in a dragster. <laughs> it wasn't a footbreaker. Yes. Yes, that's a good point. Street sportsman category, Luke, has uh, Mike Mackey as the Division One representative. Division Two is Van Greer. Division Three is Johnny Cook. Division Four is Jake Howard, our buddy. Division Five is Eugene Lamb. 
Division six is Troy Johnston. Division seven is Sacha Hofer. And the wild card is C.W. Hofer, which we talked about both of those on the podcast several shows ago. I uh, give Sir. me the guy that is undefeated in bracket final competition. I guess all these guys are undefeated in bracket finals competition, but C.W. did it twice. Give me C.W. Hofer. Yeah, again, C.W. is the easy choice. Definitely a guy that's uh, red hot and you know, on paper, being out there in his home division is going to be extremely hard to beat. But I'm going to go away from the easy road, and I'm going to take Jake Howard. Uh, Jake making his second trip in his many years, went to the pro category, went for the pro category last year, going for the sportsman category this year. Guy makes really good laps. He's in something that he's uh, confident in. So I'm going with uh, my buddy, Patches, Jake Howard, to get the national championship all right on to the two-wheel scene and admittedly we don't pay a ton of attention to motorcycle ranks on the sportsman drag racing podcast but as we mentioned earlier making it into this field is an outstanding accomplishment so your motorcycle runoff from division one austin yount division two dennis stewart division three thomas ewig or ewig not sure division four uh yes. campbell Isle. division five curtis spracklin Division 6 is rep is Riley Toth. Rick Newport gets the nod from Division 7. And the wild card representative is Barry Stevens. Probably putting you on the spot here, Jed. You can probably just take a random draw, but give me a pick for a motorcycle. Yeah, Chad Isley is who I want to pick, but he didn't make it for like the first time in, in I don't know, 100 years. Uh, Chad goes out there quite regular, seemingly. I'm tempted to pick Isley, even though he's not on the list. <laughs> yeah, he would be the easy pick. But when he's not on the list, I'm going straight homer. I mean, the best racers in the world are in Division Two, so I don't see why Dennis Stewart won't get it done. There's a shocker. I'll be completely <laughs> transparent here. I'm not familiar with any of these guys except Campbell Isle. And I do think a lot of Cam, he's a heck of a, a rider. Um, so that's my pick. I'll go with Division 4 rep Cameron Belisle. All right. So we've made our picks. And uh, again, good luck to each and every one of those guys and, and ladies representing their division. It, uh, it's going to be an exciting week for you. And I hope you enjoy every minute of it. Yeah, I hope that uh, I hope that uh, our picks provide this, the uh, podcast bump and not the podcast jinx. <laughs> um, that will wrap up a lengthy Episode 51, if you have stuck it out to this point, thank you for listening. And I, I question a lot about your mental makeup, but thank you. <laughs> Thanks to our sponsors, uh, Portatree, Seabird Performance, and Racing RVs. Thanks to our guest, Justin Lamb. It was great having Justin on. I love talking to Justin just because he's not afraid to share his opinion on anything and typically makes you think a little bit outside the box. I think he did that with our interview here. If you somehow skipped over that, make sure to listen to Justin's interview. That was awesome. As always, thanks to PJ North and to our assistant, Mark Romeo, for their help. If you have ideas for the show, you can message us. We are the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast on Facebook, or you can contact Mark directly. Again, that is Mark Romeo. You can find him on Facebook. We are bringing the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast to you every week of the calendar year, so be sure to tune Back in next week, same bat time, same bat channel, and uh, listen to episode 52. You know, that read was in red, by the way, just so you know. You know our listeners, they don't get to know every time you mess up, Luke, but you just totally stole my thunder right there. So, hmm. But you talked about Justin. I want to mention real quick, 
did you notice how Justin didn't answer immediately? Like there was this little bit of an awkward silence between the question and the answer, which I thought just reiterated how you said he, his answers are well thought out and, and presented. So great interview there. We just enjoyed it myself. Yeah, uh, guys, guys, uh, obviously, you know where you can find us because you're listening, but uh, we want you to subscribe. You know, go to Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcast and subscribe. That just tells you that there's a new show and it is ready for you to listen to. And when you subscribe, it tells uh, those hosts that, you know, people care about the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast and it moves us up in the ranks. So make sure you subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. And I'll tell you, friends, obviously we want uh, the show to continue to grow. And that happens by you telling your friends you need to listen to the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast. Uh, fortunately enough, we were played over Motormania TV at the SFG event. That uh, Those type things help. And you can help by getting your track involved. Make sure that when your track has downtime and you have uh, you know a, a ton of dead time that you need to fill, um, make sure that uh, you put Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast on and uh, give folks something to listen to. We think our uh, material is something they'll enjoy. And join our Facebook community. That's the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast on Facebook. Touch base with us there, or you can touch base with us on Twitter. Luke is at Luke Bogacki, B-O-G-A-C-K-I, and I am at JP11X. And I would love to interact with you there anyway and anytime. So reach out to us. Luke, that wraps us up. We're done. All right. Have a good week, Big Big Jed. Have a good week to all our listeners, and uh, we'll come right back with uh, episode 52 next week. See you guys. Banging on the door, bump, bump, bump until I get it in. Attitude like I am already winning in. Seabrook Performance, who's hot? Seabrook Performance is now offering engine and carburetor packages. This week's featured package. Okay, let's try that again. Seabrook Performance, who's hot? Seabrook Performance is now offering engine and carburetor packages. This week's featured package is the Pro Series Bracket 441 LS Next. It is a 750 horsepower LS based small block built with reliability and longevity in mind. It has a dart block, trick flow heads, vacuum pump, coil packs, and an optional Siebert Performance carburetor available as a package. Contact Luke Siebert at 785 286 6813 or check out SiebertPerformance.com. Luke, we had uh, a lot of choices, uh, a lot of people that could fit in the Who's Hot this week, but uh, we went out west to get our hot driver of the week. Hello? Talk to me, Luke. Oh, Lord, if I've lost Luke, this is going to be a long show. I'm going to struggle. Cock sandwich. I didn't uh, turn off the mute button. (laughs) (laughs) Enrollment in This Is Bracket Racing Elite is now open. You've heard me discuss or at least reference This Is Bracket Racing Elite. It is the premier offering of our website, thisisbracketracing.com. Elite is a membership community designed specifically to help you get from where you are today as a racer 
to who you want to be as a racer, led by knowledgeable professionals. Justin Lamb and myself are longtime instructors, and we bring in a host of guests, racers that you know, racers that you respect, led by knowledgeable instructors and surrounded by supportive peers that are ultimately striving for the same goal in their own unique way. The truth is, at each event, there are 100-plus entries. There's one winner. At the end of each season, there's one champion. That feeling, not so much the money, not so much the trophy, that feeling of achievement, that sense of accomplishment, that tip of the cap from your peers, that's why we do this. You can dream of that feeling all you want, or you can take action, take steps toward becoming that racer. If you're ready to take the first step, this is Bracket Racing Elitist for you. Enrollment is open now for a limited time. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite before we close the doors again on December the 8th.